Welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership with Ruth Haley Barton. My name is Steve Weens, and on today's episode, Ruth and I talk all about the COVID-19 crisis, particularly about the temptation that Christian leaders have these days to reactively fill all the gaps instead of finding ways to listen for God's voice in this unique season. I also wanted to let you know that next week, we'll be releasing a special Good Friday episode, Praying Through the Stations of the Cross. You can go to transformingcenter.org slash goodfriday for details if you want to enhance the experience and pray along with us. Well, Ruth, I wish we were talking about a different topic, actually. I wish we were gathering together at a different time. And uh, we are going to talk and have a conversation about pastors and leaders who are struggling to come to terms with their own reactions about this pandemic, their coronavirus that's happening to the whole world right now, and how we care for our congregations, practice self-care, and really maybe the most important thing that we could talk about is what in the world is God doing in all of this, and how can we find out? How can we hear what God is doing? Um, So welcome, Ruth. Good to be here. Good to talk to you, Steve. I hope that um, maybe this conversation can be life-giving because we actually talk in real human terms about what this journey is like, and also we'll find hope in God together during this very difficult time. And I have come to believe that if we as leaders don't practice good soul care during this time, that we're not going to make it for the long haul. This crisis is not going to be a short-term thing. We know that now. And so we're in for a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so we as leaders simply must find ways to put the oxygen mask on ourselves, even as we're trying to help other people. And so that would be my hope for this conversation that we have together today, is that it would it would um, be hopeful because we're finding God in it. It'll be comforting because we're willing to be human together in it all, and that also we will find some permission uh, to take care of ourselves, even as we're trying to care for others. Oh, that sounds really good to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm co-host and also pastor uh, yeah. of of real people, and, mm-hmm. and a family. You know, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm yeah. a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your, your own adjectives and characteristics as well that you, that you bring to this, but I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I wonder if it would be helpful, Ruth, um, to ground it in the story from John nine, uh, the story of the blind man. And you just, uh, you have written about this, you've spoken about this. Um, but why don't you give us a thumbnail sketch of the story of what happens in John nine and then how it can help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you're right that I have lived in the John 9 story for a long time. And in fact, I call us here in the Transforming Center John 9 people because anybody who's been through a transforming community has sat in a significant way in the John 9 story. And of course, that story is interesting because it's about a healing and the healing happens early on in the story. But it's almost like the healing is an aside because the real story in John 9 is about spiritual blindness. And it's about all the people in the story who saw this healing of the blind man but couldn't recognize it, couldn't recognize the work of God uh, within it. And 
Um, I'm always so struck by the very early part of the story where the disciples pass this blind man. It's kind of an ordinary moment in their lives. You know, in, in that day and age, people who were challenged in some way didn't have um, any way of supporting themselves except by begging on the street corner. And so that's what this man was doing. And um, the disciples and Jesus pass by him and the disciples turn it into a theological conversation. They turn it into a blame conversation. Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And of course, Jesus very quickly reframes the conversation. He almost says to them, that is the wrong question, because neither this man nor his parents sinned. And of course, there's a lot of blame going around right now. Everybody wants to blame somebody for the coronavirus and how uncontrolled it is. Um, But Jesus is saying, um, that's the wrong question. The blame question is the wrong question. Uh, This man was born blind so that the works of God might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And I just find that perspective to be so uh, comforting in a way. I don't believe that God causes these things. And in fact, I think that God's heart is sad and grieved as well at what's going on um, on the human planet right now and with human beings right now. I think God grieves and cries with us that this is not God's will, um, but it is, you know, something that came into our world through sin, through the imperfection that's here because of sin. And now, though, there is this possibility that God can work and do something really good, even in the midst of this very tragic situation. And so the idea of asking the question, what is God doing, even in and through this thing that he did not cause, but what is God doing in and through it? And what are the works of God that are waiting to be revealed? And how can I join God in it? And I find that to be um, one life-giving way of looking at it. It's not the only way, but I think it's one life-giving lens through which to look at a very, very tragic situation. Well, I agree, Ruth. And I think, you know, there, there aren't that many other alternatives, though there are some. You know, one would be just to freak out and stay glued to the news, uh, which is designed to keep us hyper aroused, uh, and coming back for more. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is ever more exhausting. It exhausts our soul. It doesn't build it at all. And I agree with you. Thanks so much for bringing up the reality that I, I don't, I also do not believe that God caused this or that God is punishing anyone by bringing the coronavirus into the world. And these, these liminal spaces that we find ourselves in where we have left normal, but we haven't yet arrived at anywhere stable, I think are really fertile places. Um, and I, but, but, but I think, and that's why I love asking the right question seems to be really important. So I wonder if we can name even for pastors and leaders right now, like Ruth, what are you observing? Some of the wrong questions are right now that some of us are asking. Well, the blame one is the is the first one, and you yeah. see it happening in the news. Everybody wants to blame somebody for why we didn't catch it sooner, or why we didn't put you know um, all the social distancing in place sooner, or why we didn't keep people home sooner. I mean, everybody wants to blame somebody for the lack of leadership, I suppose. Um, but that that question doesn't, in the end, do anybody any good right. at all. Right. It's just a waste. Um, I think utter reactivity and just reacting out of our human, uh, desire to survive, you know, the survival, I'm just going to, I'm going to survive personally. And I'm going to, my, I want my family to survive and I'm just going to all, I'm just going to keep us safe, you know, a very self-focused set of questions. How can I keep myself and my family safe? Um, I think a, a reactivity like that and just flipping into survival mode rather than, 
Um, again, asking what God is doing and how we can join God in it. I think that's a really limited response. Um, certainly the utter fear and sort of sky is falling doomsday sort of message, giving into our fear and giving into despair. It's a, it's a human tendency right now, but it too doesn't have any hope in it. doesn't have anything good for us to do contained within that kind of a a response. Um, so I think the blame question is really the wrong question. And I think questions about merely our own uh, personal survival without being willing to be connected with our, you know, interdependence in all of this is also going to be very limiting. Cause I think, I think one of the things that I see God teaching us in and through this has to do with our interdependence, this mm-hmm. duality that all of a sudden we're not, we, we know we're not separate anymore. You know, we're not separate from anybody. We're not separate from somebody in China. We're not separate from somebody in Italy. We're not separate from all the people in all the corners of the earth. Our, our response to this is affecting each and every one of us, our shared response. And so this being like, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this um, single garment of destiny that we're all in it. We're all in it together. And we simply must take a, a more global view than just thinking about saving ourselves. Yes. Um, I'm just looking at your article right now. It is the inescapable network of mutuality that has our attention. It's this being tied together in a single garment of destiny to use MLK's phrase that we can no longer deny. Um, and I think that's particularly poignant for, I want to get into the lens of pastors for a minute right now, because I think there's even some wrong questions that we as pastors can begin asking even out of a genuine desire to um, help people understand how interconnected we all are. And by that, I mean, like I was talking to some pastors this week and we were lamenting together, really, we're just old friends. And, you know, so we said, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's put our jammies on sort of and get on zoom together. And one of them said, I feel like I should go on LinkedIn and update my job description from being a pastor to being a marginal IT director with a, <laughs> with a pretty flimsy grasp on social networking, you know? Um, and, and I think we all laugh, well, we did all laugh, but uh, all of a sudden pastors are being thrust into this new reality where we have to figure out live streaming and we have to figure out capacity and zoom for zoom meetings and, you know, um, and, and I'm noticing, um, pastors are just running to fill the schedule with all these different opportunities for people to connect online. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, um, and I've had this, I've had this really intuition to, to not pack the schedule. And I think it's Mm -hmm. not based on, I mean, it's partly based on I'm almost 50 and I'm just tired, but (laughs) right. You know, Um, but it's also based on, um, people, um, and you said this before we press records, I want you to go on this for a while, but sometimes people need to know, um, you know, like life without their pastor is going to be okay. And we're not as absolutely necessary to their spiritual survival as maybe the pastor thinks they are. Um, what would you say to that reality? Like, and I want to put it in two layers. One layer is just sheer survival for the pastor. But then the secondly is like, I mean, there definitely is some ego stuff going on here too. Like we, we want to be needed. 
as well as we are exhausted. So um, pick up the thread anywhere you want to in those 17 questions. Thank you, Steve. Yes. Um, Yeah, I think we're being presented with an interesting opportunity and invitation as it has to do with this feeling of indispensability. But it goes both ways. Um, Yeah, I think pastors sometimes like that feeling of indispensability and nobody's going to know what to do with themselves spiritually if I'm not there to mediate God's presence to them. Um, You know, we can become overly identified with that role that we have with people. But I think people give over, too. And they sort of give up their own agency in their relationship with God and become overly dependent on the pastor and what the church provides, even in their relationship with God, so that when something like this happens and the church can no longer do all that it used to do and we can't show up in the sanctuaries we used to, we can't get together, we can't provide all the services like we used to be able to, um, it feels so empty. But I just wonder if there's not some opportunity for us all to go inside a little bit and to say, but wait a second, God's still there? For me, God can still be found. God can still be encountered in my home with my family. Um, Certainly, we as as Christians believe in the in the beauty and the necessity of gathering uh, as the body of Christ and as the community of Jesus. But when we can't, then we're sort of thrust into the reality of what is our own relationship with God without the trappings, without without the gatherings. Who is God to me? And do I trust my own ability to find God? Do I trust that that I can have encounters with God even without the liturgy, you know, the, the, the prepared liturgy, or as you think yeah. toward Easter, we, I don't know that we're going to be together in our churches on Easter. Can I, can I celebrate the resurrection adequately without the pageants and without yeah. Yeah, choreographed, you know, music <laughs> and all that sort of thing? Like, can I do, can Easter come yeah. without a service? I mean, what an interesting question. What do you think about that, Steve? Well, we certainly won't be together physically for Easter, at least um, those of us who are practicing the CDC's guidelines, you know, um, some people will. um, But uh, that's a really fascinating liminal space again to be in because it will hit hard on Easter Sunday. It it really will. And um, the empty. I mean, you know, like it's going to feel empty at least at first. Like how can this possibly be as good as what we would have done if we had gone to church today? Oh, it it really, really will. I mean, and they're like, I've I've been telling people because everyone I talk to right now is saying they don't have as much motivation. They're lacking energy. There's a low grade depression happening in almost every human being that's paying attention right now everyone's tired every and and i think on a big moment like that where we're used to um transcending the hopelessness even for an hour mm-hmm. uh with right. feeling something yep yeah. uh there and we will do our our live streaming and our online things but i think and and this is again like pastors are already starting to get super creative and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily unless there is <laughs> You know, I mean, unless this is really a moment to trust that God can show up with manna, you know, manna, this, what is this, this surprising sustenance that lasts for a day and for a moment. I think that's what we need right now. And no one can create manna, but God. And I, yeah. it, I mean, know that sounds like a cliche perhaps, but again, for me as a pastor, what's the alternative 
Well, the alternative for me is to get real busy and start cranking out lots of cool creative ideas on top of the exhaustion that I already feel. Um, Yeah, you've got more pastoral care weight than maybe ever. I mean, in terms of the pastoral care that's needed for the individuals in your congregation and then to put on top of that the need for all this creativity and learning technology and I also want to name something else that I have felt, and that is that um, there can be a, a sort of competitiveness, you know, yeah. where they're doing that cool thing, what are we doing, and is what is what I'm doing as cool as what they're doing? And what I noticed for myself um, as someone at the helm of a not-for-profit is that the minute this stuff started happening, within 24 hours, organizations in particular were putting out all these emails about what they were going to do for people during this time. Yeah. And I was almost paralyzed yeah. because I don't, I'm, I don't write fast. And so, you know, whereas some people can do brilliant things in 24 hours, it takes me a whole lot longer to write anything thoughtful. And I finally did, but, um, I was, I was very, very stressed because there was this expectation that we're all going to do something immediately. And I, and, um, you know, honestly, in the first two days after we all started to shut down, my dad, um, entered into his, um, the final leg of his journey. And there was a lot of helping to do in that. And, um, I couldn't be at my computer writing. And so I didn't get stuff out there as fast as other people were getting it out there. And I felt the pressure, you know, and I think we're all feeling the pressure, uh, around this, um, expectation that we're going to now do more in a different way than we've ever done it. And we need to, we really need to watch that. I don't think that's what's in this opportunity for us. I do not think that's what God has for us, for us to all just try to do more and get into this frenzied virtual thing. Um, I think God's inviting us to solitude, silence, and retreat, quiet, listening. I do. And I believe that some of us who are um, working so hard to just get more stuff out there and maybe even use this opportunity in an opportunistic way, I think we're missing out. Yes on the real invitation of God in a time like this. And everything in me wants to say yes to God's invitation to this time of uh, retreat, really. Ruth, I I just think those words are so important right now. And I think the words opportunistic are right on the money. We, uh, th- there is a, there, I can smell it, you know, in mm-hmm. the air that everyone's trying to get um, the, the it's, and, and I think it's, it's, it's out of, pretty decent motives. You know, most people are trying to help people. So lots of compassion and grace there. And again, when we notice all of us have some, some other stuff going on too. I mean, you have your dad who's entering into his final days and that's big. And moms and dads around the country are doing homeschooling now that they never signed up for. And that feels big, you know? Um, and People are spending hours washing off their groceries before they put them in their cupboards. Right. And in our culture, and we need to be very mindful of all that stuff right now. And I'm what I'm about to say, I want to make very clear, like, do all that stuff. Do all of it. It's really important. And we happen to live in a culture that's just hyper sensitive to putting out 17,000 different ways to stay safe during a time where it's really, really scary and it can all be so overwhelming, you know? And so the idea that we're going to create all these different opportunities, um, for people to consume more and more stuff, 
um, I think is ridiculous. Uh, I really do. And so your call to return to God with silence and solitude feels like prophetic. Um, I know that's an overused word maybe, but man, it just feels for such a time as this, what would it look like if some of us said no and, you know, and went underground for a little while? And I would like to draw a distinction. I hope it's helpful between solitudes and silence and then retreat, because I'm sure that people with young children who are listening to this are saying, man, it is possible for me to experience solitude and silence right now. I've got five or six kids in my house. And like you said, I'm homeschooling, I'm doing remote learning and blah, blah, blah. And yes, that is really real. And I think it's going to take a great deal of patience for us, especially for those who have young children uh, to, to navigate this time and to navigate it well. But the idea of retreat is actually distinct and maybe even more appropriate right now because retreat is, of course, to pull back from our life in the company of others in order to give God our full and undivided attention. Yeah. And that we can do as individuals or as families. Like whole families now are, are forced to pull back from their life in the company of others in order to give God their full and undivided attention. And what could that mean for us um, as families and to trust that this time of pulling back together as a family might not be quiet, might not be solitude and silence, but it is retreat. Yes. God probably can really work in and through this time of retreat if we can lean in rather than just trying to find ways to get through and distract ourselves. Thank you for that really helpful clarification. Cause I, yes, it's true. Like if, if people just think we're talking about getting total quiet for 24 hours or something, that's not going to happen, that's, that's not gonna happen. but we can return and yeah. we can create space and we can talk together and notice together and pray together and, and create moments together that we otherwise wouldn't have. I mean, everyone's, everyone's stuck at home together, you know, I mean, in between, you know, yelling at each other, maybe, maybe there are moments right. uh, where we exactly. can reclaim. <laughs> yes. So, and, um, you know, I think about pastors, you know, who are trying to do their sermon prep and everything else, um, even while they've got all their kids in the background, that's not the way they're used to working. And so the frustration can be immense that I, you know, I'm usually in my office, in my quiet, preparing my sermon, but here I am with all this in the background. Um, and we, we just, w- w- that is our reality. And there's, um, a greater level of trust needed. And maybe we could even adjust our own expectations of ourselves, you know, but well, it's not, it can't be exactly like it was. No, especially preaching when you're preaching mm-hmm. to your own microphone and to a computer, it's very different. And let me just tell you something that happened to me this Sunday, Ruth. Oh, I, so we, we do our, uh, our live stream at, so is it, you know, through zoom and it's just, it's, it's me in front of my computer and a couple other staff people in front of their computer and some lay people. So it's nothing like really intense at all. But so the zoom meeting was open. People were starting to gather in the room. Everyone's mics are muted except for mine. And my oh. mic is just my earbud, you know, it's, it has a mic on it. And so, and, uh, you know, it's, our service starts at 1045. Well, at 1042, my internal alarm goes off and I'm going to go to the bathroom at 10, 1042. That's, that's what I do pretty much every week. And so I go to the bathroom and then I, I come back in the room and I get a text from one of my coworkers and she's like, dude, did you just flush the toilet? <laughs> so that happened. <laughs> and worship this time <laughs> oh my that was our call to worship absolutely yeah. and i laughed so hard i mean honestly like 
there is not a, there really isn't any part of me that feels embarrassed. That is just hilarious right now. Like, and so like stuff like that, um, and other stuff that's less funny, but, but will happen. And we just have to be okay with less than, than, than what we want or what we expected. And call it, um, a perfect imperfection. Yes. Know that maybe some perfect imperfection would be a good thing for us to accept during this time that nothing is what it was and nothing is at the level that it was. And that's just fine. You know, really okay. Pulling through together as humans. Yeah. Um, Ruth, I'm wondering if you want to say anything in this article that you wrote, which is so good. And I'm sure we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, you, you talked about this other time when uh, there's a sort of financial crisis and you read this article that was titled something like, um, it, you know, God is not that concerned about your 401k and other well, important matters. More than that, it, God doesn't love your 401k and other hard truths. Yes. And, and I remember reading that and thinking, really? You know, we're all so attached to our 401ks. Like, as a, you know, as Americans in particular, we just think, well, our, th- those th- those are very important. Certainly God must care about those. <laughs> right. right. Um, so I agree. You know, it. I don't want to be insensitive because that's a bit overstated perhaps. And we are in a time when many people are really grieving real financial losses to their investments and ways in which they've saved money. So I don't want to be insensitive. My point in bringing that, article up was to say that when I first read that title, it drew me to think immediately of, oh, where am I placing my trust? Because I think that's what the the author was getting at was yeah. that we often trust our 401ks and our investments more than we trust God. And that that's part of what we are being confronted with right now is where are we placing our trust? And so I think some of the anxieties and sadnesses that we're feeling can actually be occasions when God is calling attention to what are we trusting? Which is the deepest spiritual question. The whole spiritual journey is about moving us towards surrender and towards trusting God to the depths of our being with, with all aspects of ourselves. And so this crisis for me has me thinking about trust all the time. Yes. Who am I trusting? What am I trusting in? Um, and so I I just feel like that's one of the questions that God might be wanting to use in our souls during this time is to bring attention to what we are actually trusting and to maybe help us to loosen our grip on the things that we have even unconsciously been trusting more than we've been trusting God himself for our well-being. And I think, you know, for churches, for not-for-profit organizations, for small businesses, people who have small businesses, um, that we... um, that we actually have to let this be a time when we question our trust structures, right? Yeah. Um, and and hear God inviting us to a deeper level of trust in Him for all these things, which is a hard call. And I, it is a hard call. And I'm already talking to you know pastors of churches, small churches like mine, where you know we we don't even want to say it to each other, but we're like, hey, are we gonna like? Yeah, can we survive? We, this? Yeah, can we survive this? And the, the real answer right now is we don't know. I mean, I mean, that is the real answer. But when something like this happens 
it reveals how really exceptional we come to take our our reality as sure. You know, like we lead nonprofits. We don't know the future of those nonprofits. We really don't know. It is precarious and it's always precarious. And I'm laughing because otherwise I would cry. But like, like there is no security that we can stake, drive our stake into the ground in other than God somehow is faithful in the things that really matter. Um, and God will not leave us as orphans in this, no matter what happens. And I think, uh, again, does that sound like a cliche? I sure hope not. But we can't trust in the stability of the economy. You know, we can't trust in the stability of our people. <laughs> Both of those things are fickle. We can't even trust in the stability of our own commitment to our own organizations and our own communities. That can be fickle too. So in the face of that, we need a God who really uh, can develop a kind of robust faith in us that we couldn't create on our own. And we would never, never choose these kinds of situations. Um, but they sure can grow us if we let them, I think. Yeah. Well, and two, I, when those fears and concerns come, it's about faith and it's also about surrender. Yes. Like, can, I, can I surrender myself to God and do what's mine to do, but um, accept what, what comes um, yes. and that God's in that? And so not, not clinging grasp too tightly. And I, in the beginning, you know, you find yourself clinging and grasping. And I think people are clinging and grasping at their money right now because people are afraid about money. I, you know, um, people who even are very well-resourced feel like they have lost a lot now. And so that's a part of the grief. And so people are clutching at their money and um, unwilling to part with it because we all feel so nervous. But um you know, can we surrender ourselves to God in this moment for whatever will be and trust that whatever will be will be God's path for us? I find when I'm able to do that, even as it relates to the Transforming Center, that I have more peace. I'm going to do what's mine to do mm -hmm. for our survival. But I also feel a deep kind of surrender too, wanting to hear what God has to say um, in how things pan out and um, just wanting to to surrender myself to God and not try to be God in my own life, you know? Yes. And, and I don't know what the outcomes will be, but, but I do like this place of surrender, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's a good way to walk. So I think the question of what is it that we're trusting? Um, and you know, I think of Psalm 121, this is a Psalm that we pray with each other every time we're together in transforming community. Mm -hmm. I my eyes to the hills, from where will my help come? That's That phrase has come to me a lot, from where will my help come? And and the idea of, you know, I look to the hills, I look up to God, I'm not looking at the economy, I'm not looking at my investments, I'm not looking at anything else except God for my help right now. And um, so that that is a solid place. I, I find that to be a solid place. When I, whenever I can go there, whenever I can live there, I find it to be solid. So Ruth, I think that Psalm 121, um, you know, when you can pray it, it gives you a firm place to stand. What are some practices that we can uh, do uh, with each other while being apart? But what are some ways, what are some spiritual practices that we can ground ourselves in during this time? Well, I think we could think about our practices alone and together. So um, alone, I think just 
uh, reminding ourselves in whatever way is effective for us. That particular psalm really calls to me. Uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where will my help come. But others may have another favorite verse that helps them to drop into a deeper place of trust. And that's what I that's what I kind of mean when I talk about this place of surrender is that there's the surface chop of everything that's concerning us. But there's a deeper place within each one of us that we can sort of drop into that is a place of trust and faith and hope and surrender. And so whatever it is that helps you to drop into that place of, of trust. And it could be that there's even a breath prayer that you want to develop. Um you know, out of, out of whatever's helpful to you. So I could make a breath prayer out of, um, from where will my help come? I could take that. I could breathe that in from where will my help come? And then on the exhale, my help comes from the Lord. I mean, what a great breath prayer, right? On the inhale, um, from where will my help come on the exhale? My help comes from the Lord. I answer myself, you know, to let that be our private prayer that we're praying all the time when anxiety hits or when we're listening to the news or when we have to face grief, um, from where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord. So that's a, that's an internal sort of alone with God sort of a prayer. But an, another set of practices could have to do with just the conversations that we allow with each other. So with our families around the table at night, perhaps, or with a friend when we're touching base, um, and experiencing communal, you know, community that's a bit virtual, I think there's at least three questions right now that help foster a sense of community and humanity in all this. The question, uh, what were you grateful for today? Um, what were you sad about today? And then what are you afraid of? That those three questions or versions of those questions could be questions that help us to be connected with one another uh, spiritually and humanly during this time, uh, rather than trying to distract ourselves, rather than avoiding how we really feel we need to help children process, and I think those questions really do help children to talk about what they're thinking and feeling. The gratitude question, of course, keeps us grounded in the fact that there are things to be grateful for every day, but the question about sadness and fear helps us to acknowledge human emotion and to know that it's all right to talk about those things and to do those in God. And so then maybe to close up that conversation with a prayer where we actually talk to God and thank God for Hmm. what we're grateful for, but also speak our sadness and our fears directly to God and ask God to meet us in that place. I think those are practices that might be really helpful for us right now during the crisis that we're in. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for those, Ruth. Um, I hope people sort of rewind that section, write those down, share them with uh, a few people, share them with uh, the people that you do life with, that you do spiritual community with. Um, And I hope that those uh, help to give you a firm place to stand during this time of so much uncertainty. Uh, So I wonder, Ruth, if you would lead us into um, what we're, how how we're going to close. And that is by by reading uh, Psalm 121 together. I wonder if you would do what you do so well and lead us into that moment. Yeah, and I would like to do it antiphonally or responsibly, responsively with you, Steve, where I will read one verse and then you respond with the next. Um, and then we'll just experience that as a communal thing, you know, not just me reading, but you and I back and forth affirming to each other where help comes from. And then this Psalm, maybe that would also model a way that we could use this Psalm within our own families at night um, after these long, hard days of such bad news. And then um, we'll just leave a bit of silence at the end, like we always do for you to allow these verses to meet you wherever you are. 
So let's uh, settle in to these moments together. Feel our anxieties, but maybe let them settle just a little bit. And then hear this prayer, this psalm, as a response to this time that we're all in together. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, Steve. He who keeps you will not slumber. Mm. He who keeps Israel and he who keeps you, Ruth, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, Steve. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Ruth, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life, even in this time. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Amen. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. During Lent, all new patrons will receive a digital version of Ruth's popular resource, Lent, a season of returning, which includes a guided reflection for each week of Lent so that you can experience Lent as a season of transformation. Again, learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. And don't forget to visit transformingcenter.org slash Good Friday for details if you want to enhance the experience and pray the stations of the cross along with us. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.